The following audio is from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcclayton.com. Uh, well, this morning uh, we're going to be in Psalm 139. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. And while you do, um, last week we finished Colossians, and, and next week, uh, the first Sunday in March, we're going to start in John chapter 17, uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer in the garden. Uh, and so we had a week in between, and, and as I've been looking at my calendar and trying to figure out what, what to do this week, um, a couple of weeks ago, now um, almost a month ago, I guess, um, I went to a, a, a breakfast that the, our state convention hosted for state legislators, and they invited pastors to come. And uh, Richard Land, the president of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission, spoke. Um, and he talked about, uh, one, one of the things that he talked about was life, specifically the beginning of life and, and what that, uh, when life begins and the, um, the uh, implications that has for, for how we as believers approach things, um, approach life issues, specifically um, dealing with, with abortion and, and end-of-life um, issues. So I heard that um, on Friday morning at the breakfast, and then on my way home, uh, sometimes when I'm traveling, I'll, I'll download podcasts of other pastors and uh, listen to them on, on the trip. And so um, one of the topics that I listened to on the way home had to deal with life, and specifically the when life begins and the implications on abortion and, and things like that. And so when, when I hear two messages like that in the same day, it, it kind of strikes me that maybe God's trying to say something <laughs> um, when, when from two totally different sources when, when things like that come together. And so, so I started thinking and, and praying about, about what to do this weekend, and God led me to this passage. Um, now, look, let, let me say from the very beginning, um, when, when we start talking abortion and uh, beginning of life and, and the implications for that, um, I understand that that may hit close to home for some of us. Uh, the statistics are that one in three women will have an abortion sometime during their life. So um, just over 100 of us in this room this morning, uh, this is going to hit close to home. Um, and so uh, let me say from the very beginning that, that if that does, if, that, if you've had an experience either personally, uh, meaning that you've, you went through an abortion, or um, indirectly but, but still close to you, someone that you know um, has experienced that. Um, let, let me say, first of all, there, there's no judgment. That, that's not what I'm doing. And if you've, if you've been here for any length of time, uh, I hope I've made it clear that I'm not an, an angry, fist-pounding, you know, angry, fist-shaking preacher. Um, so what, what we want to do this morning is just to get a biblical perspective on life and, and how to deal with these issues according to Scripture. Um, so b- before we get to our, um, to our, our Scripture, I want to I give us some t- statistics just to kind of uh, frame out where we're going and, and why I think this is an, an issue we have to talk about. Um, even though it's, it's a little bit uncomfortable, we have to address it because, because of these statistics. And, um, so let me share with these. Um, in 2008, approximately 1.21 million abortions took place in the U.S. Now that was down from 1.29 million in 2002. Um, 1.31 million in 2000 and 1.36 million in 1996. So the good news is that it's declining. But, but listen to this. From t- 1973 through 2008, nearly 50 million legal abortions have occurred in the U.S. So if we, if we take these numbers from 2008 and extend them out, 
through the end of last year, we get uh, somewhere in the ballpark of 55 million abortions that have occurred since, since Roe v. Wade. Um, now, that's since Roe v. Wade. And so before that, uh, we don't really have the, the documents because they, they weren't legal. So it's, it's a higher number than that. That's what we, that's what we know. Um, as I said, nearly one in three women will have an abortion at some point in her life. So we're desperately in need of a biblical perspective because this is such a big issue and, it, and it's happening all around us. And so let, let me say from the beginning, a question that, that will be asked a lot of time in, in defense of abortions is this. What about the difficult circumstances, rape, incest, um, when, when the mother's life is in danger? And so that's, that's kind of one of the questions that's thrown out. But here, the reality is, and, and I looked at several statistics, here's the reality, less than 1% of abortions fall under that category. Less than 1%. And so that's one of the main arguments we're going to hear, but listen, it doesn't hold up. In fact, it's such a small number that you can't even really factor it in to the discussion. So let me, let me give you some statistics about um, um, why the, the reasons that are given. Um, 21% say inadequate finances. 21% uh, the women said they were not ready for responsibility. 16% said the women's life would be changed too much. 12% problems with the relationships or, or unmarried. 11% that she was too young and or immature. 8% that children are grown and she has all she wants. 3% the baby has possible health problems. And 4% other, just various other instances. And then less than 1%, um, the difficult circumstances that we talked about. So this is where we're going this morning. And, and as I said, we're not... Um, I'm not shaking angry fist. I'm not going to yell at us. Um, we, we just need to get a perspective on this, and then at the end, we'll talk about some responses that we can have as the church. So let's go to Psalm 139. Stand, up, stand with us as we read this together. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's room. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, I understand this is a difficult subject that we're, that we're uh, tackling here this morning, and yet I, I believe it's absolutely necessary. Um, so speak to us through your word. Show us your perspective on life and, and how we should respond to it. Um, and God, I pray that, that if, if there are those in here, and I believe there are, um, whose lives have been touched personally by this, that, that you would allow grace, mercy, forgiveness, and comfort to flow. No, no judgment, no guilt, no condemnation. Um, but that you would be uh, glorified this morning in this place. We ask this in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you very much. So uh, Psalm 139, we're going to be here first and then um, get your Bibles ready because I I told you before, I try not to do a Bible drill and this morning is going to be a little similar to a Bible drill. So um, have your Bibles ready. I'm going to have some verses for you just to write down uh, that you don't have to turn to and then I have a couple places that I do want us to turn together. Um, So David's going to say very clearly that God knew him before he was formed in the womb. He says things like, uh, verse 13, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together. Uh, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. 
15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. And then 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. So even before he started uh, being formed into uh, what we would call, what we would recognize as a human being, he said that God saw him. And so we now know that that's the embryo stage, the, the very earliest developments, before there's uh, any organs, before there's, um, before there's any, any functioning, um, as far as what we would consider functioning on a, on a human level, God said, or David says that God saw him. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So the Bible, if we understand this right, the Bible is going to see that life begins at the moment of conception, that God has the days planned from before the moment of conception. Um, some, other, some other passages, just write these down. You don't have to go with me to them. I'm going I'm to read through them very quickly so that we can move on. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Talking about uh, conception there. Um, Isaiah 49.1, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. So Isaiah is saying that God called him um, to himself out of, uh, from his earliest moments in the womb. Jeremiah 1.5, you'll know this if you, if you have a background in church. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then Exodus 21, this is in the law, and, and this is going to be very similar to, to laws that we have today. So listen to this, Exodus 21, 22 through 25. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. It's interesting, and, and I didn't realize this either, because we know the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, it's in the context of hitting a pregnant woman and the baby dying. I didn't realize that until I, until I got in here. Um, and, and so in our laws today, we also have um, that if, if a pregnant woman is murdered, the perpetrator can be charged with two counts of murder. If they will be charged with two counts of murder. Um, straight out of the Bible, that in, into our laws today. Um, so the Bible is going to say that, that a fetus is life, and, and it treats it as such. Um, and science is going to support this claim. Science will agree with us on this. Uh, Princeton professor and former member of the President's Council of Bioethics, Dr. Robert P. George, says this, the embryonic, fetal, child, and adolescence and adolescent stages are stages in the development of a determinate and enduring entity, a human being, who comes into existence as a single-celled organism and develops, if all goes well, into adulthood many years later. This is a bioethicist who's saying from the embryonic stage to full adulthood, we have a human being. Um, according to the Mayo Institute, the baby's brain, spinal cord, heart, and other organs develop in the fifth week of pregnancy. Now, that's according to the, to the calendar. So you ask a, a woman how far along she's pregnant. You know, I'm five weeks along. The baby has actually probably only been developing 
for two or three weeks at that point. So the fifth week of the pregnancy, possibly the second or third week of life, you have spinal cord, brain, heart, other organs. In the sixth week, the heart starts pumping blood. Isn't that, that's just, that's amazing to me that in the sixth week, how many of you didn't even know you were, how many ladies, how many of you didn't even know you were pregnant in the sixth week? Like you didn't find out until it was eight weeks or so along. Okay? How many of you are like around six weeks, four to six weeks, somewhere in there? Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of standard. So most of the time, by the time you know you're pregnant, there's a beating heart. Even when the baby is tiny. That blows my mind the way that God works this together. And so I think if, if my understanding of life at its most basic level is correct, a beating heart qualifies as life. Um, now you can talk quality of life all you want, but as long as there's a beating heart, there is a person who is uh, legally, physically alive. Um, now let me kind of bring you into my thought process here. I used to think my, my understanding uh, about abortion um, was that you had those on pro-life who believed that life begins at conception and we should fight for life. And then in the other camp was pro-choice who thought that life began sometime later, sometime after conception. Um, that, that was my thought process. And then about a month ago, I read an article that totally shattered my perception about where people stand on life. Um, and let me be real honest, this is one of the most disturbing articles I've ever read in my life. Um, because the title of the article, this was in Salon Magazine, a very, a very liberal publication, so keep that in mind, but still. Um, the, the title of the article was, So What If Abortion Ends Life? I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read a couple of passages um, to talk about the mindset that's in the world here. This is what the article said. Here's the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me, the author, not me, the author. Let me be very clear, okay, the author. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about, lest we wind up looking like death panel love and kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Listen to this. Her life and what is right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside of her. Always. She goes on. Some argue that abortion takes lives, but I know that abortion saves lives too. She understands, uh, she was quoting somebody else there, they understand that it saves lives not just in the most medically literal way, but in the roads that women who, who have choice then get to go down in the possibilities for them and for their families. And I would put the life of a mother over the life of a fetus every single time, even if I still need to acknowledge my conviction that the fetus is indeed a life, a life worth sacrificing. Um, now, we want to talk about um, the, the legality of abortion in, in aborting a fetus to save the mother's life, we can have that conversation. I think that's a conversation we, we need to have. Aborting a life to preserve a lifestyle because 
her life and her circumstances are more important. I think we've gotten to a dark place. Um, and let, let me say this. I, I am thoroughly convinced. And let me, let me preface this by saying, if, you, if you've listened here at any length of time to, to me, you know that I, I, I'm not sure I've ever once mentioned um, the statement, God is going to judge America. I'm, just not, I'm not one of those guys carrying picket signs, right? God hates America. That's not me. But listen, I, I'm thoroughly convinced that if we are going to stand in judgment before God, I think it's on this issue. And let me also be very clear. I don't think so much scared young women who find out they're pregnant, unplanned, and freak out are standing in judgment as much as those who stand back and let this go on. And, and let me say this. The church is guilty of being a bystander. In, in a lot of areas, but I think especially in this. And, and so, so what's happened is, through the years, the church has kind of stood back and said, man, that's awful. That's terrible that that's happening. Somebody should really stop it. And I think what God would say to us is, you're the body of Christ. I've put you there. Stop it. Uh, and so we'll talk more about our responses at the end. Um, but let, let me tell you why I, I think that, that this is a single, if we could focus on one issue, this is the issue to do. This is a civil rights issue. In fact, in January, uh, we had this kind of odd week where January 20th was Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Um, January 21st was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. January 22nd was the 40th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. You want to talk about civil rights issues packed together. What Martin Luther King Jr. stood for in ending um, and, and protecting the life of people and then Roe v. Wade. Um, what, a, what, a, what a paradox that week was. Uh, so go with me to 2 Kings chapter 17. Th this is um, we're going to be here, and then we're going to be in Romans 1. Um, so th this is why I say I, I think that, that if God is going to judge us, this will be the issue that, that it happens on. Um, because of what we see in the life of Israel right before they fell. So 2 Kings chapter 17, we're going to read verses 14 through 18. I'll give you just a little bit to get there. This is what it says. But they would not listen, but were stubborn as their fathers had been who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenants that he had made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false, and they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not, be, that they, that they should not do like them. 16, and they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves and they made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. Uh, 17 and 18, this is where I really want to focus. Pay attention to what it says here. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. So this is, this is the fall of Israel. And what happens is Israel's turned away from God, serving other gods, 
to the point that they start sacrificing their children to other gods. Now, you may be wondering, what does this have to do with abortion and sanctity of life and all this? Listen, in our culture, comfort, pleasure, and what's right for me has become a god. And I think we're seeing this not just in this area, but in, in every area. Um, so much it's focused on me, right? Whatever I believe is truth for me. That this is the um, postmodern, there's no absolute truth. Whatever you believe is fine for you. Whatever I believe is fine for me, and it's, and it's all well and good. So when, in that system, then, I become supreme. What I want, what I decide, what I believe stands. And so in this, in this god culture of my circumstances determines what's right for me. My comfort, my pleasure, my lifestyle determines what's right to the point that we sacrifice children on the altar of comfort, on the altar of an image that we have that that shouldn't be tarnished. Um, Go to Romans chapter 1 now. This is the last place you have to turn, I promise. I told you, I don't like, I don't like turning this into a, a Bible drill. Uh, Romans 1, we're going to start in verse 18. We're going to go through 25, uh, but I want to start in verse 18 to kind of give us a little context running in. Says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So God's going to say here, um, Paul says here, that God has made things clear in creation. That, that we can have a sense of the presence of God through what he has created. Uh, 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to Impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So you see what happens here. He talks about their hearts being darkened. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and became foolish in their thinking. And again, we have a mention of an idol. Um, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And listen, this passage is one of those that reminds me when, when people l- say, well, the Bible was written so long ago, it's not even relevant. Look, you read passages like this, that could very well be describing America in 2013 as well as it could be first century Rome. We're so confused in our thinking. We've exchanged the glory of God for idols, for shadows. And so, again, we, we worship 
for lack of a better term, we as a culture, and I don't, I don't mean specifically here in, in our church, I mean we as, specifically as Americans, we worship ourselves. I am supreme. What I want matters, and, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I want, and, and whatever I have to sacrifice in order to do that, uh, I'll, I'll get there. And so, um, if you want to talk dark thinking and feudal minds and seared consciences, um, we, we have this um, friction in our law, this, this inconsistency. As I said, if, if, uh, if you kill a pregnant woman, you will be charged with two counts of murder. So um, think, think about this scenario for me just for a minute. A young lady um, finds out she's pregnant, doesn't want the baby for any reason, um, whether that's a, um, an, a reason we can discuss or, or a reason that's just, uh, it's, it's not right, it's too embarrassing, whatever. She, she gets in her car, she's on her way to the abortion clinic, is hit by a drunk driver and killed. That drunk driver will be charged with two counts of vehicular manslaughter, intoxicated manslaughter. If she makes it to the abortion clinic, the doctor can legally take the life of the baby. Do you see the tension here? On one end, it's illegal, but on the other end, it's legal. In a span of minutes, we've crossed over from life is acceptable to life is, we, we can kill a life. So, so my question is, how, how dark do we have to be to allow hypocrisy like that in, in our laws? How dark do we have to be to, to think that, um, that ending a life is, is okay? And, and we can talk end-of-life issues here just as well. I, I, I didn't have time, and so um, the, these were the statistics that, that really jumped out at me and that, where I felt God was leading us to. So, so let's talk responses. Um, the, the only, <laughs> in my mind, the only non-response is to not do anything. We, listen, we as the church can't stand back and say, that's awful. Some, somebody really needs to take care of that and, and do something. That, that's what we've done, and this is where we've gotten. Now, let me, let me tell you, the statistics are encouraging, but we're still seeing over a million babies a year aborted. Folks, the people of God got to do something. And the answer is not to go picket abortion clinics. It's, not, it's certainly not to go bomb abortion clinics. That's, never, that's um, never made sense to me, right? People who can do that. You're killing babies, so I'm going to kill you. I think, I, think that's, that's, I think there's some messed up thought there as well, okay? Um, so, so what can we do? Let, let, let me talk through. I have, I have four responses, and these are by no means um, exhaustive. These are, these are just um, some, some things that I see in Scripture. First of all is pray. Never underestimate the amount of prayer, the, the impact that prayer can have. And, and I think we need to specifically pray for some things. And that is, um, if you've been indifferent, it's kind of one of those who stood on the sidelines and said, mm, it's terrible. Um, if, if, if something's brought to our attention from the, from the word that, uh, and, and there are things in our lives that don't line up to it, we're, we're called to repent. So, so if you've been indifferent about this, Repent. And let me tell you, I, I've had to do some repenting. Because I'm like a lot of people. I, I, I knew that it was happening, and I knew it was out there, and I thought it was awful, but 
um, I didn't ever really do anything about it. So I've, I've had to spend some time in repentance on this issue. Um, so if, if that's you, if you've just been indifferent, re- repent. Um, if this has affected you personally and you need to reconcile some things with God in your past, reconcile, go to him. He's not gonna condemn. He's not going to keep judgment on you. Our, our God is forgiving and and we see that in Jesus' encounters with messed up people, right? John chapter 4, the woman at the well who'd been married four times, five times, and now she was living with a man who wasn't her husband, and Jesus didn't shake his finger at you and say, now, now, shame. He, he embraced her. Same with the woman caught in adultery. He didn't throw the stone. He accepted her. God, Christ will not heap judgment on you. He'll call you to repentance. That's what he told the woman in caught in adultery, Right? Where are your accusers? Just looked around, they weren't there. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Just, so, so if this is you and you have, you have family members or, or maybe you personally uh, have, have dealt with this, go to the Father. He'll, he'll embrace you. He's not gonna turn you away. And neither will we. Let me be very clear, neither will we. And ask God to open our eyes to, to opportunities. So that's the things we can pray for. If, if you need to repent, repent. If you need to confess and, um, and, and just rest in his, in his grace and his mercy, do that. And, and ask God to open our, our eyes to opportunities that we have to, uh, to minister in these situations. Um, the second thing is this, fight for life. Walk alongside girls and women who are in difficult pregnancies. Single ladies. And, and listen, it does not matter what the circumstances are regarding a pregnancy. Life is precious. We need to fight for life. Um, those, those girls who aren't ready, financial difficulties, they're too young, too immature. Listen, church, we gotta walk with these young ladies. If they have financial difficulties, we need to assist them financially. If they're feeling shame and, and they're being told they're, they're unacceptable by their own family, we've got to embrace them, bring them in. And I'll say this, we've got to stop the cycle of when a young girl gets pregnant out of wedlock, she disappears, she goes and visits family for six months and then comes back later. We, we've got to stop this cycle of being too disappointed in people as the church. We've got to embrace those even those who've made mistakes, we've got to embrace them with the love of Christ. Because the Bible says that we will be shown mercy according to the mercy that we've shown. We, we've, if we're going to be Christ's hands and feet, we've got to treat people the way Christ treats them. Um, number three, we've got to become advocates for adoption. Um, so that means that we can give financial support to adoption agencies, um, specifically those who, adopt, who operate under Christian guidelines. Um, listen, folks, I, I, believe, I firmly believe Christians ought to be some of the most adopting people on the face of the planet. Because listen, 
According to the scripture, adoption is a picture of the gospel. I have two, two passages for you here. Romans 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into the fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption is a picture of the gospel. So listen up, folks. We got to support adoption. Um, there is a pregnancy crisis center in Dalhart. Uh, we, I tried calling them this week, and we just, we, we, kind of traded phone messages back and forth. We missed each other. I'm, I'm going to be talking with them to find out what we can do, whether they need financial support, um, if they need adoptive parents, what, whatever they need. I want to be, I want us as the church here at Clayton, First Baptist Clayton, to be a resource, to be advocates for life, advocates for adoption, and a loving, warm, embracing community for young men and young women who are walking through difficult times. In all areas of life, Specifically this morning, this one. And the fourth one is this, and this is the most political thing you'll ever hear me say. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you who not to vote for. I'll tell you issues that I believe are important, and that's this. Vote for pro-life candidates. Don't vote for pro-choice candidates. I'm not going to give you names. (laughs) Believe me, I'm not going to stand up here and, and give you names, but listen and so you might be thinking, well, well can, can a single issue in, in, a, in a politician's life, can a single issue decide whether or not I should vote for him? Yes. Let me give you an instance. If there were a politician who stood up and said, I believe we should re-implement slavery, would that one issue not disqualify him from running for office? And so look, if, if you have a, a candidate who says, I believe we should have abortion on demand without apology, um, listen to me, as, as far as I'm concerned, that's, that's advocate for murder. If you take issue with that, I'm sorry, that, that's, that's my stance. I believe that's the Bible's stance. You have a pro-life candidate who says, I, I think we need to consider the, the difficult circumstances. Um, look, I think we do. I think we have to talk about the difficult circumstances. Defending life or... Um, um, defending life, ending a life to save a life. That's the same thing if an intruder comes into my home and threatens my family, um, I will have no problem ending his life. I think it's acceptable to end life to defend life. Um, so look, I, I don't know where this hits you this morning. Um, and as I said, there, we're, we're not heaping judgment on it, whatever circumstances are. Um, there's, there's grace, there's mercy, there's forgiveness. Our arms are wide open. Uh, I, hope you, I hope you've known that. If, if you've been here any length of time in our church, I hope that, that that's been made known to you, that, that our arms are wide open. We're not afraid of um, issues. We're not afraid of questions. But folks, we've got to have a biblical perspective on life. And we've got to be active in our biblical perspective. We can't just stand back and say, well, this is what I believe and and, and let it in there. Our, our beliefs have got to carry forth into action or else they're no good. Remember what James said, be doers of the word, not just hearers. I'm going to call us to action this morning and I'm going to, um, as I said, I'm going to be in touch with, with some resources and some things we can do as a congregation and as individuals um, to, to get in on this fight.
We're not anti-choice. We're not anti-women um, defenders of life. So as Jean comes, let's pray together. Uh, Father, as I said, I know this is a difficult topic, and I know this hits close to home for, for so many of us in here. Um, So God, I pray just, just for the responses that we had, that, that we would pray, we would seek you on this, seek what your word has to say, um, that we would become advocates for life, we would fight for life, we would, we would walk with young women and young men who are going through difficult pregnancies and, and maybe some, some tough situations, some embarrassing situations, and just pray that the love of God and, and the love of Christ would be evident through this body, that we would walk along with them and help them financially, emotionally, spiritually, whatever way we possibly can, that we would become um, advocates for adoption, whether we adopt ourselves personally or whether we assist families in wanting to adopt. Um, because adoption is a picture of the gospel and remind us of that, that, that as Gentiles, you adopted us into your family. And God, I pray you would raise up pro-life candidates who will, who will step in on this war and, and, and fight for life and, and help us to support those men and those women who are in the fight and that we might join them and stand with them. Um, God, don't let us be indifferent here. Don't let us just stand on the sidelines and look and, and say, I wish someone was making a difference. Call us to action. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. We are located at 223 Oak Street, and we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings for Sunday school at 945 and worship at 11. You can reach us at 374-9285 or at fbcclayton.com.